and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust. This week we're discussing Strange New World Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra Per Aspera. I'm one of your hosts, Ethan. And I'm Kevin, one of your other hosts, and this week's episode is written by Dana Horgan and directed by Valerie Wise. Neither one who I can find information on. So Really? Yeah. So... These are new names to me, so. You sure? Yeah. Well, I usually click on their names, and it's not taking me. There's no history. There's, there's well, that's no. when you got to do a Google search, an IMDb search. Oh, man, they give you this job for what? You had it for what, three weeks? Second week. Yeah. Two just... weeks. You fail. <laughs> well, let me know after my 90-day review. All right. Yeah, I'll be making a note of it. <laughs> well, okay. Though we'll have action steps as giving, for you. As you're giving me, as you're giving me hell. So IMDb, <laughs> Dana Horgan, Supergirl. No, she's this is a writer. Supergirl, Strange New Worlds, Once Upon a Time, Hell on Wheels. That's it. Okay, nice. Supergirl. I really like that show. Actually, now we're getting somewhere. Now this is see. Now you're doing your job. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You do everything. Basically. <laughs> at, the, at the very last minute. It's all, very, very, all in uh, good fun. Last all minute. in good fun. Um, but. Valerie, yeah, she's been direct. The director, Valerie Wise, has been directing, has a number of credits, but Outer Banks, Mixtape, Strange New Worlds. Um, this is her first directorial um, debut. This is her directorial debut for Strange New Worlds. Echoes, well, I've, no, I've never heard of these shows. So, I heard of Outer Banks. I think it's some kind of like sci fi channel oh, level yeah. show. Um, Scandal. Oh, The Librarians. So, all right, she's got a little. Okay, some yeah. genre work. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna say to be impressed. I'm just like I don't watch those shows, so it's like quite the debut, though. Yes. Yes, agreed. So, um, it's been a long time since we've had a Star Trek courtroom episode. It's true. I think Unification Three and Discovery was is the closest we've had. You were telling me that, and I was like, I don't. What was even that courtroom? I don't even recall what it was. Like what was I don't it? It was definitely a tribunal of some kind. I forget why they were doing it, but because we were thinking about, I was trying to think like, what was the last time we had? One? Oh wait, was was Michael trying to convince Vulcans to like give them information, and they had a tribunal like a people to to so she could make the case Something to them like why that. they should give them the information. And I the thing is, I don't. Was it the was it the crux of the episode? I don't even. I, I don't know. I, I just remember I don't like, watch Discovery very often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, but the one that I did say, I, I was like, I feel like it could be a Discovery episode, but the, the one that I went back to was the ending of the pilot when Michael is stripped of her rank. But even then, that's that's more of just a scene. Scene. Yeah. And what was the last full? It was like the last thirty seconds of the episode. What was the last full courtroom based episode? I think it was Enterprises. I think it was. The episode Judgment. Yeah. What's the trial about that one? That was when he was captured by the Klingons and it mimicked the trial scene from Star Trek VI. Um, Mm. I'm also thinking of like the Zindi episode, The Council, when he meets with the Zindi High Council and tries to convince him. But it's not really a tribunal, but it's just like, it's sort of set up to look like one, but it's not exactly like a trial Mm -hmm. per se, like official legal proceeding. So, but certainly, measure of a man is the one that's I think is getting the most yeah comparison. 
And then I think... Well, then you, you also have the scene in the Star Trek 09 when Kirk is... After he cheats on the Kobayashi Maru and he has the trial and it's Kirk versus Spock um, uh, yeah. in the beginning. But that's... Still, that's not what the... We should really get specific and say where, like, the courtroom storyline was the main storyline. Not not yeah. a scene in an episode. Yeah, like Measure of a Man. Exactly. Right. Which, um... You know, like, you and I love to talk about haters and just how ridiculous it just gets with them sometimes. And mm-hmm. I tell you, I never cease to be amazed at how much they are willing to reach. Like, they'll reach for anything to criticize Star Trek, the modern Trek. And one of them, one of the most common ones I'm seeing is that, well, it's not as good as Measure of a Man. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. That's um was that it's objective because there've been plenty of courtroom episodes since then. And I could also argue and say, well, Measure of Man it, wasn't as good as Court Martial or the Menagerie. Right, but also it's like it wasn't as good as what is considered by many to be the greatest Star Trek episode ever. So therefore which, I'm washing my hands of it. Which by the way, <laughs> has had what, thirty five years to sort of like simmer <clears throat> since yes. it aired. I mean That's tough. Right. That's no one can live up to that. Right. I thought it was well, it was very good. Of course. We, but also didn't you say some haters were saying, Oh, it's it's just like Measure of a Man, so therefore it's not very I mean, there's no question in and I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind that the Measure of a Man, when it comes to courtroom episodes in Star Trek, is the gold standard. Is the yeah. is the most perfect Star Trek episode focused that's set in a courtroom and one of the best Star Trek episodes of all time, or as you say possibly undisputed greatest episode of Star Trek of all time. Um, but by saying that you make it seem, they make it seem like the people behind this episode were making some sort of conscious effort to try to outdo that episode when really it was just an episode that took place in a courtroom. You know, do you think somebody sat around and said, let's try and outdo measure of a man. You know what? I would actually argue that they went out of their way to not make it, Similar to Measure of a Man. Mm. Because the easiest thing to do would have been have Pike give an inspirational speech. Yep. Just like Picard, where he convinces everyone through his sheer oratorical, um, you know, prowess that, uh, yeah. you know, of the outcome that he, he wants. But instead, they specifically did not do that. Right. So I think that's a that was a good move. And it was just, I think like many Star Trek courtroom episodes that we have gotten prior to this one. Because I, after I, I watched it a couple of times and I sort of went back and looked at a few other ones and I wanted to see how does it compare to the others? Do they share any commonality amongst any of them? And even though they all tell totally different stories, they all sort of have a similar undercurrent to them, which is using the courtroom setting or the legal proceeding in that episode as a way to comment on how imperfect Starfleet as an organization is or can be from time to time. Mm. And certainly saying something about society, probably, because three of them I can think of are civil rights. This one, Measure of a Man and the one with the doctor. Are certainly based on around civil rights. Yep. Yep. I would also maybe say the drumhead 
from season three of Next Gen. Picard has that civil rights speech in the episode, but um, what I like about that one is that was one of those episodes where like it, it began that way, like as a small sort of courtroom. Or no, it began as sort of an investigation. Then it sort of snowballed and became this, you know, big thing. A molehill turned into a mountain. And it was really sort of getting out of control. And they were like essentially questioning everything. And, you know, Picard is a person. And and it just, and like he just couldn't, he reached a point where he's like, you know, we, we, we can't do this. We just can't do this anymore. We can't go like this anymore. This is not who we are, you know. So, but this is one of those episodes where after I watched it, like I said, not seeing a Star Trek courtroom episode for quite some time, it was one of those episodes where I thought, yeah, I forgot about these type. Yeah, we've not seen an episode like this in quite in a long time. I forgot about these types of episodes. Yeah, and, I think it's yeah. probably good to not go to that well too many times. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, they certainly are some of the greats in Star Trek. So glad to see another addition to that line. One that's worthy, you know, that stands up with all the rest, I feel. Well, let's get into this. So we're picking up on the storyline that ended in, that really began in season one, episode three, where we find out that Yuna, Yuna, Una is an Illyrian. Yuna is a character from Final Fantasy X. Where Una, or number one, I'm just going to keep calling her number one, is an Illyrian. And she's been keeping the identity secret. This obviously caught up with her in the final episode of last season, and now we're coming back to it this season. So we now get to see her trial play out. Um, and I think next to Measure of a Man, this is probably the most courtroom-heavy episode. Um, you know, the other episodes that featured a courtroom, it, it, I don't... Maybe with the exception of like the drumhead, the the courtroom was not the main setting of the episode, and so this we spent a lot of time in the in this courtroom uh, throughout the entire episode, and w- I got to tell you, I was just like beginning to end, I was just riveted because it was so. I think it really kind of shows you how strong Star Trek is when like. As long as you've got a really good, compelling story like this, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where it's set. Nothing. It it will just completely captivate you from beginning to end. Uh, I agree. Mm. And and one thing I really appreciate is, so I coached the mock trial team at my school. Mm. So, you know, I know how to run a trial in yeah. that fake trial sense. And... Often fictional trials are so far off base from what a real trial would look like. But this got it much closer than most. And I know it's obviously not a civilian trial and it's Star Trek. But they pretty much kept to, you know, the way you really would do it. It was they were actually asking questions. The lawyers, for the most part, were not just giving monologues. Right. Um, So I really thought that 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 was nice. And you also have to think that this kind of goes, this kind of, I think, echoes one of your points, that it's Star Trek. Starfleet's a fictional organization. So I have to, so obviously any sort of trial that they have is not going to sort of align or match anything that we would have today, right? You have to believe that they would 
they would have some yeah. sort of like 23rd century sensibilities. Right. Well, they would probably be closer to a military tribunal right. rather than a regular trial. Right. Totally. So, but I found the, this- the only glaring thing was when the lawyer. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic actor, by the way. Yes. Yeah. The lawyer whose name is in my you notes. You're looking up right now. I have it in my notes. Katul. Yes. Um, <laughs> this one is actually just funny. Um, to think that during your closing argument, you can ask the opposing counsel to read something for you. <laughs> that was very odd and wouldn't make any sense. I don't care what year, what fictional universe. <laughs> yeah. Never could you tell the opposing counsel to read something for your closing argument. But that was the only one that just made me laugh. But you know something, though? Even then, that closing argument... Like, there was such a... I don't think anybody would have doubted that number one was going to come out of this and be back on board the Enterprise. Mm. But despite knowing that that was probably how it was going to play out in the back of my head, I mean, the show could have potentially thrown us a curveball, but I doubt it. It was so satisfying to see all of it get wrapped up that way and just the way she formed her argument and more or less threw it all right back into Starfleet's face. Yes. And also I knew she would get out of it, but yeah. I had no idea how. Yeah, that's what we that's it the was, thing with prequels these days, yeah. It was so surprising the way that she did it by using an apply just essentially she argued that Uno was applying for asylum. For asylum in the organization that she's a, needs asylum from, in a way. Yes. So it, it doesn't make sense, but also it, by the letter of the law, it does make sense. So I, it's almost as if this is how I feel that this was achieved. She, Katul built the emotional story. So she got the people, the tribunal on Una's side, but then because of the law and because of what we knew that Vulcan vice admiral would do, and he would lay out the very logical, like the law is X, you did X, so therefore you are guilty. So the lawyer had to find a way for them to let her off. Really. She convinced them that they wanted to let her off. Now she had to find, she had to tell them how to do it. Right. She found it. One of the moments throughout the trial that I really that I really enjoyed actually was when she was grilling Commodore April and sort of like using because in a sense he did a lot of the same things I like that it because let me sort of back up I like that the episode really kind of goes into it kind of speaks to the point that you and I joke about which is you can break all and they did it last week yeah you can break all of these rules but if you do something heroic, they just wipe it all. They just wipe it all clean. Like it's sort of right. Like, yeah. so she was sort of making the argument. So okay, so Una broke these rules, but she also did all these great Starfleet things. Right. So shouldn't you also just use the same logic? Right. It, it's funny, and I find it kind of funny in a way because we have talked about that. That's come. That's a point that's come up, not just from last week. But we've even talked about it before. We because we had been, we oh, had yeah. said like it seems like. 
like a lower decks type of thing because I think they did it in the they did it last season in lower decks where they took the Cerritos and then you know um, it seemed like they were going to get in trouble there and and it seemed like yeah. there, there was how a, many there times was... has the has the Enterprise been stolen right and plus and also like think about Michael right if Michael's plan had worked oh, that's she it. would have been fine right well, in the first episode it's only because Michael failed when she broke the rules right that that she got in trouble. And we have continually said there's like a there's a lower decks joke in there that's just perfect where it's like you can break as many rules as you want so long as you at least do one heroic thing. Yeah, they're willing to forget it. And I like that this episode in some way kind of takes that exact idea. They don't you know say it that way, but I like that, that when she was grilling Commodore April on this point, I thought to myself, oh my god. She's doing. She's like doing exactly what we've been talking about this whole time. Like he has broken all of the Commodore April throughout his history may have broken all these rules, but he's hailed as a hero because of X Y Z, and she's pointing that out. And I'm just sitting there going like, yeah, what the? And I'm just. It was that moment that just really kind of pulled me into the drama of the episode, saying like, yeah, this. Is, I, oh yeah. yeah, and the first she, she misplayed it because yeah, her her only goal there was to makes Starfleet look bad. She hadn't yet been kind of won over to the fact that they could actually win this case. Right. So yeah, she kind of misplayed it because she never made the compelling argument really. No, because oh, it's established right from the beginning and then it's reinforced at the end that she's not the biggest fan of Starfleet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So th- that leads me to something I found very great about the episode. Mm-hmm. If I can go to a different topic. No. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> um, so I found the conflict between Una and Catul and Catul's journey throughout was so well done. Like mm-hmm. you got in one episode two people at one place on the outs with each other because of something that happened in the past. Yep. And then by the end they were you know, they were close again. And also you had Cthulhu at the beginning was just not a fan of Starfleet, just wanted to damage Starfleet any way that she could. And then by the end, Mm. she actually uses the ideals of Starfleet to make her case to Starfleet and then is slightly convinced of them. So, you know, you want arcs in fiction. And I think that there was a fantastic relationship arc and then Cthulhu's arc. Well, kind of hints, it sort of hints, I think, right, that they had some sort of, is it like a romantic relationship years ago? I mean, no, you don't think so? No, I think they were just friends, yeah. and when um, Una left the Illyrian um, group just to essentially uh, pass as yeah. not augmented, mm-hmm. she kind of she just let that relationship, her friendship, go, and that was it. Right. And that was the end of it, and never talked to her again, even though I, they were close. I hadn't thought romantic. I didn't. I don't know, but. They were like uh, kind of holding hands at one point. It, I don't know. It's to me, it felt like they were sort of hinting that maybe they had some sort of complicated relationship years ago. But maybe I was just, I don't know. No, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they did have a complicated relationship they in did. that sense. Yeah. yeah, they were close, mm. and yeah, she felt left behind. Katul felt left left behind by her, mm-hmm. and it was interesting too because you even saw during the testimony of Una when. Katul was hearing about how hard it was for her. Yeah. Um, her kind of anger at her started to break down a bit when she said, like, I am so sorry. You could tell that that wasn't just a lawyer thing. That was a personal statement. 
which was great to see. Um, I found the episode to be very theme heavy as well. We've been doing this show for the last what almost six years now, and mm. I wouldn't. And I and I and I have sort of openly said that I'm not good at sort of recognizing themes. Mm. And and I think because I don't go looking for them. Yes, and me as a English teacher. So unless they're screaming, themes are my stock and trade. So unless they're screaming themes at me, they may I, they may just pass by me unnoticed. But this week, I think it was the show was the episode was wearing its themes on its shoulder. Um, in my opinion, there was just a lot, you know, things like identity and acceptance, justice and hypocrisy, as we were just discussing. Diversity, mm-hmm. inequality, aspiration, hope. So the biggest one, I think, was just the the hypocrisy, the sort of um, going against the system. Maybe the law is wrong. It's the law. Well, maybe the law is wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe Starfleet's mm-hmm. not correct in this. Yes. All great civil rights fights usually are about right. unjust laws and challenging them. But here's a question. This came up for me. I this I didn't think my Starfleet in my head yeah. at this point would have such prejudicial laws. Because what we learn about Starfleet through the years of watching the shows is that, you know, all prejudices have been cured and inequality has been cured in society and... Um, there's no poverty, there's no hatred anymore, you know, we kind of get this utopian idea of it. So, this was sort of surprising to me, because the way I thought of it is, in just a couple of years, Spock will be, I mean, uh, Kirk will be telling people with half black faces and half white faces that it doesn't matter what side uh, their face is black and what side's white, because they're all the same, can't you see that? When that, according to this, Kirk would have gone to school being told that augments are dangerous and you got to turn them in and we got to yeah. arrest them and get rid of augments. So it it it's it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the episode, but it did make me it sort of didn't didn't uh fit with what I had in my head. I think with the original series specifically. I think the attitude you're referring to was sort of more refined by the time we got to the next generation. I feel like the original series had it sometimes, but other times oh, it true. felt like this. Like it was very, it, I think it sort of just depended on what story they were telling to give that opposing viewpoint. I mean, Kirk would say, like in Savage Curtain, when Lincoln sees Uhura and, he, and she says like, you know, in our century we've learned not to fear words, right? But then you have somebody like McCoy, who while lovable, says you know spock calls spock like you green-blooded vulcan like he he what i would interpret in some ways as being somewhat racist terminology at the time yeah yeah like very terminology kirk says to someone um get get your prejudice off my ship right leave any bigotry there's no room for the bridge and and in the original episode in the original pilot pike says to number one which they i think they have since like they don't tend to show the scene much anymore but like he says he can't get used to having a woman on the bridge, right? And, you know, okay. the original series at one point says a woman can't be Starfleet captain. So it, it sort of teeters on both sides. It's not just one way. That's a good point. Yeah, so at this point, 
But I think this point, original series ish, they were not as enlightened as they were by next. And that's what I think this episode really shows is that while what we're talking about in the original series is written with a sort of 1960s frame of mind, I feel like this show has also kind of worked that into the canon of Trek to say, like, this is what the humans humans were still sort of like this during this time. We're not at 24th century you know, sort of perfection just yet, right? Or whatever next generation is. Like, there's still work to be done. It's still sort of like a, um, somewhat of a vestige of the humans of Captain Archer's time. Like, you know, after the Zindi attack, there was that sort of brief bout of xenophobia. And so... Zindiphobia. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, is that a conscious decision on their part? I don't know. That's part of the fun of being a Star Trek fan is also like coming up with reasons for those sorts of things for things like that making connections and in my mind that's how I would sort of justify that sort of thing like there's still a humanity's not totally there just yet mm, yes because they also they keep saying we have these rules to prevent genocide yeah which it's almost like this. these are the baby boomers of this generation and then once the they all, it's almost like we're dealing it's almost like in a way Star Trek's like this is like the baby boomers the still living baby boomers of that generation and then once they all die off and like the younger generation takes over then it becomes the next generation time frame in a lot of ways a lot of ways right yeah. yes like i was saying earlier if uh, it would be as if people were saying well we we have to you see any germans we have to get rid of them cuz we can't have another genocide right um it's just because yeah because augments in the genetic wars had done some terrible things. Now all augments are suspect. It's interesting because we were, we were talking about it before we began recording and we were talking about this very subject. And one of the things that I pointed out was, you know, when you talk about when you get space seed, right? There is a tribunal at the end of that episode, by the way. Um, that's written in the 1960s, right? Before, and, and while chronologically in the canon of Trek, the episode, the events of the three-part Enterprise episode with the Augments have already taken place, but obviously in the real world it hasn't been written yet. But by the time you now get to this episode, that episode already exists along with, but Spacey does not. So I kind of in some way feel like the events of that episode of Enterprise, even though it's pre-Federation, and it's, but it's dealing with genetic augmentation, and is that in some way playing a factor into why Starfleet feels so strongly about mm. genetic engineering. Likely, yeah. They, it, but again. Right. It does fit. Yeah. Which is great. That's what's so fun about anything that's been around, any, any you know, storyline and universe that's been around this long is when it fits. It's really fun. And, and you know, again, I, I it's not that I want to give all the credit to the writers. Cause sometimes like when I come up with a reason for it in my head, I think to myself, well, even though the show may not explicitly be saying that, were the writers thinking of that? Was that, was it, you know, was it a conscious effort to do it or were they, was it just sheer luck? Did it never enter their mind at all? Um, so yeah, Star Trek is a very complicated history when it comes to sort of genetic manipulation. I, I sort of feel like, the way Strange New Worlds frames the eugenics wars is that they, Pike 
threw it into the mix with a bunch of other conflicts in the first episode where he was talking about the second, he, he called it, I think, the second civil war, then the eugenics wars, and then finally just World War Three. So even though like Strange New Worlds was bucketing all those three conflicts as being sort of the same, I sort of feel like the reason why Starfleet feels so strongly about banning genetic engineering and it's to avoid going down that road again. Even though the, yeah. even though it's different this time, like it's not just humanity on its own. I just feel like they're doing it because yeah, of their own history. It's such a it's such a strangely blanket policy of you know someone that was genetically altered before they were born or when right when they were born had no choice in it. Right. To also have them be sort of. Uh, you know, a band in a way is, um, yeah, it, it shows a, a level of fear, um, prejudiced fear that is pretty extreme. It makes me country. wonder how all of the other Federation members felt about it, right? Yeah. Because this is like yeah. technological augmentation, right? But I mean, like, how did they... I know Starfleet is the sort of military science exploration arm of the Federation. But, like, yeah. when they feel so strongly about wanting to ban genetic engineering, you know, you also have member worlds like Vulcan and Doria and all these other, me all these other member worlds. It's like, you sort of have to get their buy-in for true. that as I well. Couldn't Vulcans, I couldn't see Vulcans going for this because to them, I think that if it was logical, if it made sense, they would do it. I couldn't see them, especially the um, the argument made by Battelle. Yeah. Um, what's the quote here? Something about playing God, which is not a great argument. Uh, genetic modification is playing God and threatens natural evolution. Mm. Right. That's not a great argument, especially to a Vulcan. You see a Vulcan falling for that? They would right. never go for that argument. They would just think, uh, yeah, uh, well, who cares? <laughs> if it's logical, if it makes sense, if we can improve. Right. Do it. Yeah. Um, the. Where is it? So. Yeah, I mean, for me, I find, again, a very, very heavy themed, heavily themed episode that dealt with many different ideas. And um, I, I, and I gotta say, you know, I know it's only been what, what are we out Sunday now? So like 72 hours <laughs> since the episode aired. But I do wonder, and I, is this going to go down as one of the memorable Star Trek episodes in the years to come? I mean, I, I, I know we're sort of people are kind of quick to make these assertions about things like that now because there's so much content out there. But I mean, I, I really, really liked it. And I just thought that it was, it once again, just kind of showed the strength of Star Trek, Star Trek storytelling. And mm, totally. it was, I, I, when, when it ended, like I was just so enthusiastic about it that I had to, I just had to watch it again. Like, and I watched it again. I think I, I, I watched it. I made some like ramen or something. And then I went back and watched it again. Like I just wanted to, cause it was like when something's really good and they, and it just, 
is real and it just does it really really well it just makes i just get so excited especially when yeah. it's star trek doing it really well and just and i think it's also just a you know when you think of it this when i think of it this way it's like it just shows that yeah they can still do really good star trek it's still it's possible because i know a lot of people have very mixed feelings about some of the other shows but they can still do it it can still be done here's the thing i will say though i think that you can do it, but I have, yeah, so I've yet to see it done to this degree of good Yeah. in a, not, in a season-long arc show. I mean, I think we all loved the last season of Picard, but right. there weren't any, one. there was no one episode that we were like, that was it, that was Star Trek, that right. was so great. Right. So I think that. You're right. I think that benefits to this. It's hard to do this type of thing over an entire season because you wouldn't right. get the impact of it. Like this episode packed in so much. It did. It was remarkable. Well, it goes um, back to what I said a long time. I, I remember like we were talking specifically about the season long story arcs on the on Trek, and I was saying that I would say more so modern Trek. I said I said, I just don't think that they have managed to success do one very successfully like that i trek has yet to prove to me that they can do one this is obviously before last season of Picard, but they've not I, in my opinion they've not managed to do one really really well and but i think it just kind of goes back to this show doing episodic storytelling to your point it's like that's sort of all we need to do like it's just that's what's in my in my mind that's what star trek is <laughs> And I do think, though, it's harder to do this. Mm. I'm sure for writing because you, it's a new, it's a new full idea. Yeah. Every episode, whereas the other way is like one of these ideas would become a whole season. Right, and then also, once you do a serialized story, your serialized story has a certain, whether it's a theme or a like a vibe something and it may not allow you to do episodes like this that are impactful like this because it's like how do we how would you fit i'm not talking like is when i say this i don't mean like you know stick a courtroom episode in the middle of like the zindi of like the you know the, the the dma you know thing but it's like you it's almost like you don't have room to deal with to do this kind of like impactful story because it's like it you're dealing with a larger story that's being spanned across 10 episodes that's true and you have Actually, to make no, yeah I'm going to defend one episode. The the one from, I think, the last season of Discovery when they had the prisoners on the asteroid. Oh, the one I hated. <laughs> the one you hated. Yes. That one I liked <laughs> because it dealt with one idea of, like, what do we owe to criminals and how do we treat criminals? And right. What are, what are their, what's the value of their life? That one actually was pretty good. Well, and I'll tell you why I didn't like it. It sure. wasn't the fact that it did that. It felt out of place in the larger exactly. story they were trying to tell. Exactly. So, uh, Which is problematic. Of, <laughs> yeah. In the middle of a story arc, it's right. like, wait, this is not what we're doing. Right. Yeah. That makes sense, which is why if it were all standalone episodes, that one would be nice. And I got to say, I... That was strange because that one was very strange. I do remember it being very strange because thinking, oh, look, they're just, they're dealing actually with an ethical right. question. Yeah. What I love what Star Trek does. It just well, was very surprising. It's but, weird because... I've had that, I've, I've said something like that several times in the last year or so, like, 
oh, this is a good story. It's fine. But like, why are we doing this right now? Like, I, this is not like, it's sort of like, this is not where my head is. It's like focused on the larger story you're trying to tell. And now you're, you're sort of like slamming on the brakes mm -hmm. and doing this. Hold on a well, second. Usually I get excited when they do that because I enjoy yeah. that much more than whatever the story, the whole season long story arc is. And the thing was, wasn't that story, it wasn't too far removed from the DMA because like that, they were trying to save them from the DMA, I believe. Isn't that what it was? They were on a... Yeah, some, yeah. Some, yeah it was connected in some way. Right. That was the episode with, uh, what's his face? Um, oh. The, who, the, who the hurricane that? story. The hurricane story. <laughs> Yeah, that that's that was bad. Reese, but... Reese, Reese—that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I was laughing at that scene. I was—I'm like, I shouldn't be laughing at this. Right, it's tragic. But I'm like, this is so. Oh, I wasn't—I wasn't laughing at the tragedy. I was laughing at right. because you know what it was. Timing. You know what it was. It... Yeah, all right, let's not go down. Here. No, no, I'm just gonna say this. That one moment just encapsulated. It was like it was—it was almost like a parody of Discovery itself. It was like yeah. just, I'm like this is I'm like this is the problem with the show. It's like you're stopping to do. Something. It's like what are it we? It a ticking time bomb moment. Right. Someone stopped to explain their trauma and why they wanted to go on the mission because of the hurricane that they suffered when they were a kid. And it's like this is literally a situation where seconds are going to decide whether you live or die. This right. is not the. Time. And I think and I think that dude's a really bad actor too. Like he was just it was awful. Like it was painful to watch. I thought, but. Using this episode that, has none of that. Using this as a, using that, but using that point as a springboard, it comes back to a point I've continually made about Strange New Worlds, by saying, by just saying these three words: it's not hard. It's not hard to embrace the Trek ideals. It's not hard to. Yeah, it's, it's just, not hard to embrace the Trek ideals. I do right. believe it is hard to write it. Totally. Totally. But yeah, it's not hard to embrace the ideals. Um, yeah. A little bit of the things I liked that were kind of just random things. Yeah. I liked the world building of having Pike go to the planet where the Illyrians are hiding out. And just the fact that, you know, he had to bring a breather. That was great. That was great. Yeah. The yeah. atmosphere. Mm -hmm. That's something you don't, um, you know. It's always they go down and everybody. Things like that. Yes. They forget, forget about languages a lot of the time. Yep. Everybody breathes the same air. Everybody speaks the same language. Right. Um, so that was nice to to see that, and it gave it gave him uh, gave Pike something to do where he didn't have much to do last episode or this episode really. Yeah. I also noticed in that scene what I what I it, it was sort of doing something that like a lot of early Trek would do specifically I think early days of next gen maybe like motion picture time frame is that you know he's in this office building and it looks pretty modern like it looks sort of like something we would see today. But, but there were just yeah. these little tiny things that gave it that futuristic feel. Like, she, like the lawyer, she's sitting in a chair, but it has no legs. It, there's nothing. It has no floor support. It's just levitating. Yeah. Like it's just it was just little things like that that I thought yeah. made it work really well. And it, it, seeing yeah. an urban environment on another planet was cool. Right. Because a lot of times when we encounter other planets on Star Trek, they're kind of um, mm. like rocky or yeah. foresty or something. The other can I can I actually add something to this point to these to these observations? Um in when Commodore April was giving his um dissertation? What's the word I'm thinking of? Oh, testimony. Testimony, thank you. Not dissertation, testimony. Um so we learned that Una was once his first officer. And 
we're given a little bit of info during his time as captain of the Enterprise. We're, get, we're given a little sort of Robert April history, like yeah. various um, missions he went on, which and I thought was would, really cool. Yeah. And he also would violate the Prime Directive. Right. Like all the captains we've gotten to know. But it also, but the thing is, it also, I began to kind of put, try to put a timeline together because Pike was also his first officer at one point. As was Una. So I'm trying to think to myself, so how did this work? Did, did, if she was his first officer and then Pike was, like, is it, did Pike get promoted to captain? Maybe go off and command a different ship. Then she becomes his first officer. Then April leaves the Enterprise, recommends Pike as captain, and he comes back with her already in place. Like, I was trying to figure out, like, what is the, yeah. That also sets up the possibility that Spock will be number one when Kirk comes already. Yes. And we do see his first day on board, which he references in that short trek. Um, yeah, so I was trying to like get a sense of like, so how did this work exactly? What is the, yeah. So I was, I was sort of piecing that. There was a lot of, this was probably an episode where I did the most of my own sort of like headcanon, piecing together my own headcanon with, thing, with details that I was given. I do that a lot with Trek, but I think this was the episode that was forcing me to do a lot, doing it the most, which was which also really added to my enjoyment of it. Yes, if if you're gonna have a connected world, then universe, then you know, make it connect. But yeah, I I I loved getting because Robert April has always been that sort of like he's an almost mythical character. We've heard him referenced, and I was so glad that he finally we were gonna see him in the flesh on Strange New Worlds. Just the fact that he's there, that's great. But I, I was I was so pleased to see that at least here, that here of his time captaining the Enterprise, because you know, people don't forget that there was a captain of that Enterprise right before Pike. So there were there were two guys before Kirk. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think this could clear up Where's my Robert April series? I think Robert April clearly after this embraced genetic altering and that's why he became a white haired white guy later. In the and became animated. In the series, we have an explanation now. Yeah, I do like him, and I do like that he is a central character on the show. He's not like a, um, you know, he's not there all the time. But I like that he's being used from time to time. I like the role that he's playing on the show. Yes, I really like. Um, yeah, I like that he shows up frequently. Also, I like. And not a corrupt admiral. I like Captain Mattel. I like um, Pike's girlfriend, as I used to call her. Yeah. But she's been around so consistently now, I think I, I decided it was time to learn her name. But uh, here's a question. Do you think their relationship will survive this? Because that got kind of rough there for a bit. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. I think so. Because I think she was swayed at a point when, when Una <clears throat> was telling her story of the hardships of yeah. being a kid in Illyrian. They cut to her once and she clearly was being was moved by it. And that's when... We could see um, the vice Vulcan vice admiral mm. getting more irritated. Now, one thing about these, another just random note: the Vulcan vice admiral. These are the most enterprise-like Vulcans that we've seen. Agreed. And I love it because they were jerks. They were jerks. They were horrible, horrible jerks. And that was not popular with fans, by the way. They didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That the Vulcans were like that. That during that time. I think I yeah I like the way Enterprise handled it. It never phased me really. It made sense in the world that they yeah. 
Yeah, the Vulcans would have the sort of superiority complex and not trust humans. And right. Like, I guess they're okay. Yeah. Yeah, so this was a guy who was definitely of, of that ilk. Also... Which they would make lawyers because it is just like... Even, the way he questioned Una when he stopped Patel from <clears throat> questioning and it was just, okay, yes, your emotional story is nice, but that's irrelevant. Right. Did you break the law? Did you do this thing? Yes, okay. Yep. It was strange that he went after Pike. It was... There was something a little too vendetta-like about him that mm -hmm. wasn't very Vulcan. Even the yeah. fact that when she turned down the plea deal, they came back with these punitive extra charges against her, which yeah. is something that happens in mm -hmm. our system now. But I'm a little surprised that a Vulcan would do that. Well, speaking of Vulcans, so you mentioned a scene, and actually I wanted to mention a scene too. So Spock, I felt, had two really great moments in this episode that were really funny and funny in the most Vulcan way possible. So I'll just throw it over to you to talk about it. Cause you know which one I'm talking about with you. Yeah. Yeah. There was another one I know too that I really like. Yeah. Um, so chronologically one is in the mess hall or yep. cafe or whatever, when uh, he's sitting with the Vulcan vice admiral and Ortegas is talking to Mbenga and she's assuming that, Oh, he's probably just talking about logic and how it's so logical to put Una on trial. Yeah. But Mbega can see that there's some tension there, and then Spock comes over and apologizes for them having to witness his outburst, which clearly they were both sitting up very properly and, right. and discussing in a normal tone. But to a Vulcan, he probably made a facial expression or something that right. was considered an outburst. I thought that was fantastic, and I was like, was and I thought, like, there are the Vulcans I remember. Yeah. Yeah. The one it from. Reminded me of the, um, the Lower Decks Vulcans. Yes. Absolutely. They fight and they're, they're just... The other one... <laughs> the other one, for me, it's, it's, it's probably is the one for you. When Spock's on the stand, and he's being questioned, and he seems to be trying... He's telling them, like, you know, yes, she was keeping something from me. And they were like, what is it? And he goes, that she has an affinity for Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes. Now, and I, both moments, I burst out laughing. I'm like, this is fantastic. What is it with Star Trek and Gilbert and Sullivan? Hasn't it been established that it has something to do with Starfleet Academy? Uh, I don't know if it has something to do with Star I can, Well, I can think of one other instance. So, Insurrection, they yes. sang HMS Pinafore to distract Data. Picard yes, and Worf. Yeah. The Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. Well, I or maybe I made up that headcan because I was starting to think, like, why is everybody like Gilbert and Sullivan? It doesn't make any sense. And then I thought, oh, well, there must be some, some hazing at Starfleet where they do Gilbert and Sullivan. I gotta say though, in that scene in Insurrection when they sing HMS Pinafore, right, to distract Data, mm -hmm. right? They're on the shuttle, they're chasing him, Data's in one shuttle, Picard and Worf in the other one, they're going after him and so they're trying to <laughs> distract him. And Picard brings up the lyrics, right? So they can sing it. Now here's what I it's so funny to think about it now. It's funnier to think about it now because this is during a time before smartphones, before tablets, all this other stuff. Before like touch screens, you know, to the average citizen. It's the fact that like Picard was able to bring up Gilbert and Sullivan in two taps on the shuttle. But when you think of like the way we would like use a phone today or like the way we would sort of like browse the internet, like it would what take us <laughs> right. It would take like, it would take a minute for us to find it. Not very long, but yeah. like he just literally, you just see him. The Gilbert and Sullivan button and right. then he tapped tap the I mean, 
camera button. In a way, that's what it was like. You, you, because you see, because like when he does it, you the the camera focuses on the panel, and you see him tap tap, and then there it is. I'm like, maybe that's the mental interface that we never heard about. Well, I mean, when you that at the time that wasn't funny because you think to yourself like, well, we don't have anything, so you know, you just justify this thing like, oh, it's some sort of like futuristic, well, whatever. They can just do that very easily. But now. I'm like, what would he do to t- what would he tap to get Gilbert to get to get those lyrics so fast? Because it would just be a playlist already, and it was just like play playlists and start. Like, Possibly pull up Spotify start. Possibly, it's the first thing on this playlist. He just he did it so quickly, and I just thought like, uh, uh, there it is. I'm just like, well, what? <laughs> but yeah, that's what um, number one saying. Uh, I what did she sing? Um, I am the very model of a modern major general yeah that's as long as in the uh, in the shuttlecraft yeah in the uh in the um uh turbo lift but that was great like that was it was yes, spock that was had two those two unless there's another I got one another one is there another one yeah spock. yeah so another one so in the last scene which is great when we see katul leaving and she says um a law is not a mirror to society. It is an ideal, a beacon to our better selves. Mm. And then she says, engage or whatever, right? Uh, everyone Energy. is clapping except Spock. Yeah. Everyone is clapping. Everyone starts clapping. You see Spock just has his hands by his side. He doesn't clap. Well, he's Vulcan. I don't think he would he would do that. <laughs> but know, yes. But it was still good. Yeah. It's, he's, he... It was funny, like he was sort of like the underdog of this episode. He had like the scenes he was in, he just totally owned and they were so they were so good and they were so funny and they were just so they were it was perfect in my opinion, it was perfect Spock writing. Like I, I could have totally have seen Leonard Nimoy playing those moments on the original series. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, would I love can even to see the thinking of like Clapping is illogical. She understands our appreciation. There's no need to show it with audible hand. <laughs> well, you know what the thing is, too? So, as Stranger Worlds has come back, I've sort of casually been watching the original series again. I was actually watching Court Martial right before we began doing this. And something about Spock I never really observed before. Maybe once or twice, but not, not fully. Nimoy plays him. There's almost like this. There is almost like this undercurrent of like a smirk or like a little bit of a wise assery about him. You know, like it's, whether it's the way he just raises his eyebrow or like you kind of see him somewhat of a, or the way he just delivers a line. There's this undercurrent of like almost sass about him that is so fine-tuned and so perfect. Like, he thinks the humans are, like, a little ridiculous. In yeah. A way. Yeah, Kinda yeah. Like, yeah. It's just... And I'm just watching something. I'm saying to myself, like, I never really picked up on that too much before. And, like... And it could just... And maybe it's just the, the select episodes I'm watching. But it just seemed very... It, suddenly, it was very apparent. And it could have just be... And it, you know, because sometimes watching you know strange new worlds or like any other trek sometimes like in a way like you're you know they have a certain vibe about them and sometimes you you're you're maybe you're a little bit more attuned to it and watching other things so i feel like in some ways it's bringing it's sort of bringing that out a little bit i'm i'm sort of noticing it mm. more in a time where i w- maybe would not have noticed it too much but i'm gonna watch them. he's so it's just like yeah 
Yeah. And, um, yeah. Speaking of court martial, small oh, the, but great yes. detail, the uniform. So, yep. Battelle, Captain Battelle's, you know, court martial uniform. Yep. Is so spot on to the ones from the original series. Yep. Such minor tweaks, the star patch with all the different colors looks almost exactly the same, except now it's a three-dimensional kind of brooch. Yep. And the um, the gold, instead of being puffed up like the original series, is flat like it is yep. on uh, you know all of the regular uniforms on yep. Enterprise also. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a great example of the fact that you just can... You can just keep it the same. Why not? But even the thing, even the chair they're sitting in. So like when they put their hand on the panel with the light that comes up, exactly the same. Exactly the same. At one point, I was like, does that light like keep prevent them from lying or something? Right. But in the in the 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 60s, same bell. In the 60s, it's high tech. To go back to that kind of naval tradition. One thing I I actually didn't notice and maybe because maybe you did if you just watched it you have to tell me so I'm, as i'm watching court martial they sit in that chair they put their hand on the, the arm with the light on it and it reads the thing and then when they push it away it makes this like noise like it makes this like you know original series type of like high-tech noise and i did they, they didn't do it in this no, episode they, didn't, they never pushed it away yeah i was because if they had done that i thought that would have been a really nice uh touch because like sometimes on the original <laughs> series like it, it makes a weird noise and it's just like it's just yeah. but the thing is Why? like it's it's the '60s interpretation of the future. So they just think like, I don't know. Maybe when they do that, it just makes a strange. I don't know. Makes some weird high techy noise. Who knows? Because this is a very advanced technology we're dealing with that doesn't exist. So maybe it would, you know. And to see that with a modern sense, it's sort of comical now. But Strange New Worlds is not. Strange New Worlds like still embraces that quite a bit. Like it's yeah, not afraid of those things. Right, right, because retro is in now. Right, so it doesn't look ridiculous. I mean, retro was as much, um, you know, when Discovery started, I would argue that right. they didn't have to go as far as they did. But even like, you know what else too? Like, and I thought of this too. Like, they're in that courtroom, which, by the way, I found out from the ready room. The courtroom they're in is actually Starfleet headquarters from Discovery, future Starfleet headquarters. It's okay. the same set, but what one of my favorite things? So, like, whenever I watch the ready room, they always have like that. Two five two to five minute featurette about the behind the scenes thing. One of my favorite yeah. things they do—they don't do it every single week—is when they talk to the production designer and what went into the design. And everything that's my—I love when they talk to those Are people. Talking about these things, they do. So they said, like you know, like the addition of like the wood paneling and like like just those little details that give it that almost nineteen sixties nineteen seventies feel to it. When wood paneling or like wood grain was like everywhere, mm-hmm. and. While, you know, maybe it comes back into style in the 23rd century or something like that. But, like, it sort of gives you that reminder that, like, even though it's 2023 when we're producing the show, we're still, they're still, they still have that sort of, like, 1960s design aesthetic in their minds. Where they just, they don't want to, like, they just want to sort of hint at it. They just want to add splashes of it to kind of get you back into that time. Which I love. I think that, and I, and I, they, they're very subtle about it. But I think totally. that speaks to the entire design of just the show itself. Like a lot of these things, they're ve- it's just they they'll change it. It's like they'll change it just enough. Yeah, but they and, won't go overboard. Like, yeah, so for instance, like the star. Yeah. Clearly, it was just oh, we got to put something on there. It doesn't look right if it's just wearing a green shirt. Right. And they put together the star with like seemingly little weird off shaped patches of different colors. 
but yet they kept it. Right. Because why not? Totally. You don't need any explanation as to what it means. Who cares? Um. Yeah. I mean, it was just... Like, I watch the show and I think to myself, like, this is how you kind of... This is how you do a prequel. This feels like a genuine prequel to me, you know? And it... But also at the same time, like, it feels like... Like, when you watch the show, do you truly feel like you're watching a show between Star Trek Enterprise and the original series like do you feel like it I feel like just from a design at least totally from a design point of view like it slots in perfectly like I totally feel like this is 100 years after Enterprise like I feel like this is where we would be totally totally yeah and to give some credit to Discovery's design the uniforms did seem to take something from Enterprise they did they did yeah yeah Yeah. that's right I kind of forgot about that but they also you know I'm not gonna trash discovery in that sense fully but they you know they i mean they do say that the uss discovery was i don't think they say an experiment with a vessel but like it was a vessel like with all sorts of like no it was like experimental technology so like they sort of gave you somewhat of a reason as to why it doesn't I think we are used to uniforms being different right changing randomly in star trek and the and yeah. lower decks has made a made it a point of like making fun <laughs> making fun of that Yes. Which I like. Like, you know, from like original series to Star Trek: The Motion Picture to The Wrath of Khan. Right. Right. That's like wild changes. Well, you also make me think of um, A Quality of Mercy, the season finale for last season. We saw Pike in the Wrath of Khan era uniforms. Very. Right. And th- I would actually say the episodes in the, the 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 uniforms in this episode, and that one changed the least. I think the the movie era uniform that Pike had in the finale, the shoulders had a little bit of detailing on them. But more or less, it was exactly the same. Like, yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. And those uniforms have aged well, honestly. They have. They have. And the, I mean, and they're fantastic uniforms. I mean, they used them all the way up until six. And then you yeah. saw them. They had them on yesterday's Enterprise. And, and in fact, like, next gen, I thought, did a really good job. Like, when they did, like, various flashback episodes or, like, you know, to Picard when he was in his youth in Starfleet or they're dealing with Yesterday's Enterprise, they would be modif- – you'd see, like, these slight modifications to them and you can see eventually where how it gets to the uniforms we saw on The Next Generation. Like, eventually, like, you know, they they lost the turtleneck. So now they so now they began to sort of, like, lean toward, like, the first season uniforms of – on next gen the combat's changed like so you began you they would they would like they would take certain things out of it so you could see that it eventually was going to reach that first season uniform on next gen i would see more of the um, motion picture style somewhere in star trek but you know and it was weird because that that one that to me felt the closest to the first season next gen because it was a one-piece spandex which seemed to have you know yeah yeah, but yeah, cards. I'd like to see those too. I want to see those come back in some way. I want them because, yeah. like, what one thing they have not done, and I want them to. I want one of these shows to do it. Remember McCoy, and they did it in the motion picture. Some of them were short sleeves, like t-shirts. Uh, yeah, McCoy would wear short sleeves a lot. Yeah, McCoy wore the short sleeve, but Kirk had had a short sleeve on in a couple of scenes in motion picture. Or no, I think, no, I think throughout the entire film, maybe he had he was wearing 
on the bridge. He was his was short sleeved, except when he first came on board. So I want them to go back to the short sleeve look at some point too. Yeah, but I, the my favorite one, that, and I'll stop after this. My favorite one that they did was given was when, last season when they gave Pike the green one that Kirk used to yes. wear the wraparound. I was so glad that they brought that back. That is excellent. Yes. Yeah. Of course. It's as if um, you know Kirk's just going to find that in the, in the closet when he becomes captain. Throw it on. And I always wondered about that one. I thought, like, what is that one supposed to be? Like, it's like it's like a didn't did you tell me maybe I missed? Did you try to make that one time? No, but I, didn't you I make it? it? I mean, yeah. I made the the mustard one. You did. I remember that. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I wanted to make that one, but I never did. Because like it was a wrap. It, it wasn't even like a shirt. Like it just kind of like a, something just wrapped around his body. Kind yeah, of. And it was a velcro. Yeah, and the the Starfleet arrowhead was down at the bottom, and like it was like a yeah. V neck and casual. I always took it to be like this is your casual wear. Yeah, he only wore it like two or three times. He didn't wear it that much. Believe it yeah. or not, but I, I was when Pike had it on. I think he had it on once or twice last season. I was so, and I think they they changed it to be like leather or something like that. But it wasn't like a, you know, like the fabric is Kirk's same fabric as Kirk's. But I was so glad that they brought that back. I'm just like, you know, the fact that they went back to that one to me really showed me like the type of detail they're willing to go to for the show. Yeah, not yeah. the most flattering design, but still, no. that didn't turn them off. But it was good so to see like a reward, yeah. Of loving. So, at a point, oh, two, two scenes. And they both have to do with La'an. So, when La'an is trying to find out how Una was turned in, and she goes to Uhura and asks her to search all uh, crew logs for any mention of Una, and Uhura says no. She won't do it. Yeah, yeah. Because of regulation. Um, I just thought that was great, and that brings back the thing we talk about a lot, which is, you know, the sense that this is a military-like organization, right? And you can't just willy-nilly go doing things, whatever fits the plot or whatever you like need in that moment. And there is a line that you know they won't cross. They have do have these, um, you know, these ethical lines that they won't cross. I thought that was a great scene. Agreed. Yeah, I like the second one. We get to see a discussion of Laan, which we've we've, we asked um, this last week. I think we asked questions this last week, right? The the show kind of answered questions we had from last week, which we didn't even think would be addressed. Oddly enough, great because we've always wondered: Does Laan have any of the augments of her ancestor Khan? And she doesn't know. And we don't even know the relation there either. Like, what is she? What's the relationship there? You know? Yeah. Right. But if she thinks she might have some of those augments, then clearly it's a blood relation. Right. Um, so I thought that was fantastic when well, she talks and she says, um, Katul says, you believe you may carry your family's augmentations and you think because of that you could be dangerous. Yeah. She said, yeah. Well, because it made me wonder, like, if she does indeed have it, shouldn't she now be on trial too? Right. Now, yeah. I wonder, is it a genetic augmentation if then it is passed down through birth? Right. No, I don't I think wonder. so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. I mean, it's because you're just you're born with it. It's a, it's a pre-existing condition, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it was neat that that also was pointed to during the trial, and kudos to the director, when they're talking about 
um, Una's talking about hiding who she really is, it cuts to La'an at that moment. Oh, yeah. So that was great. It w- and I also like the line that Katul says, genetics are not destiny. It's like, you're not going to be evil just because your ancestors yeah. were evil. I mean, I think that it's also wondering if she has the any of the augmentation generally. But we did notice that she seems to be outrageously strong. Yeah. So I, I would say she has some has been passed down. That's my guess. The show this this week did a lot. I mean, it was a very... Right? It was like... It reminds me of, a, you know, sometimes we watch episodes of Lower Decks and we say, how did they do all that in 24 minutes? Right. I feel that about this. How did they do all this in 45 or... I think it was because there was no... No scene was wasted. Every scene was crucial to what was going on. Whether True. it was, you know, whether they revealed a lot or just a little bit. But every scene was important. And it was all just loaded with stuff that helped move the plot along. And But also, like I said, we learned about stuff that you know, I was coming earlier when I was commenting about us getting a little bit of information on Captain Ap- on April's time captaining the Enterprise, like those kinds of things. And it, you know, we saw we learned about um, uh, Number One's past in the in the opening. It just it was a very densely packed episode that just didn't waste any time. No, it didn't, and even used some shorthand. Yeah, like we knew right away that that Vulcan Vice Admiral was a dick. Right. <laughs> They just communicated that somehow by his facial expressions and, well, and everything. So and also, we didn't need any backstory as to why he's a dick or why he hates augments or why, you know, it's just like, okay, he's a well good. Well, also, just, you know, every time I watch a new episode, I always want to see how long the episode is. And um, I mean, it was 52 minutes long, roughly, which in today's world is ridiculous. I mean, if that were airing on a network, it would probably be about 37 minutes long. So they kind of get, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if for a series episode, there's like an average streaming duration. But no, it usually in HBO shows and whatnot are usually like around that 50 to an hour mark. Yeah. But those are, with, and those are without commercial breaks though. Like, cause they don't do right. that. But you know, this had the, but it was, yeah, it was 52 minutes. I was like, wow. Cause I remember like us getting a little annoyed. Like there were episodes of like discovery that would be like 39 minutes. Some were like 42. We're like, why, why are they so short? What the fuck? Yeah. You know? Um, I like it, you know, but I do appreciate when they don't have to let the time limit limit them. So they go long or they go short. I sort of do like that. Do you think though that, and maybe this kind of flies in the face of what I just said. Do you think there was stuff do you feel like there was anything super like I guess maybe the more basic question is like do you think there's anything they could have removed that still would have made the episode work or do you feel like every single scene I think every single scene was crucial do you feel the same way yeah I do I do I mean there's different ways they could have got the lawyer there they didn't have to have Pike go to the planet right but I think that worked well and it gave him something to do and yeah Mm. It just, it gave us a lot. I mean, it gave, you know, you said, like, I think particularly referencing that scene, and this also applies to the Robert April stuff. The, the, the episode did, you know, a fair amount of world building there. Yeah. Which, oh, oh. which is always nice to get. Um, 
but it it sort of made the time to do that but it all made sense within the context of the epi- of the storyline so completely i can see a version of this on next generation where that lawyer just would show up on the ship and say like i got word of the trial i'm here to represent she would, you know? i can tell you exactly how she would show up it would be they would arrive on another starship and it would be that same shot of the excelsior and the enterprise rendezvousing and she's coming aboard from the uss hood you know and that's like what it would be yeah. you know it wouldn't it would not be yeah, yeah. And you get a brief you'd figure out like what was going on when picard greeted her at the transport room right she would like explain or he would have a like she a would have gone straight straight to conversation it would have been straight to the room. They were drinking a cup of tea and they would have been talking yeah yeah God, we could write a next gen episode with all of this. <laughs> we should convert all these to next gen episodes for fun. Um, but yeah, I, I I can't say enough good things about this episode. And we, you and I, I before we began recording, I was actually worried because we've always kind of felt that if something's really good, we don't have a lot to say. But I think mm. because I think we're running longer than last week's, and we like this one even more. Um, when it works and it works really well. I think there is a lot to say, but this episode also gave us a lot of stuff. There was a lot. There was a lot of meat on the bone of this episode that, that we just, yeah. And it and it did what I love with Star Trek episodes do. You got to talk about these bigger ideas, you know, right? So that's that's what you really want. And plus, there were just so many important scenes. Like like we said, there were no unimportant scenes. No time felt wasted to me. Not at all. Yeah. And I love that we got movement on, of course, Una's story and all the movement we got on uh, La'an's story as well. It or just least... makes me really... It just makes me really happy, though, because I, when I think back to The Cage and I think back to number one and just, like, you know, we didn't know anything about it or nothing. And, like, the fact that, like, I can go and watch that episode now and know her history mm. and no I just I get very excited about those things like there's a character who was like basically a blank slate and they have done such a great job filling in um this character's backstory their history who they are. it's just I I yeah I, I love it and I, yeah I mean it goes it goes for all of them but like not there's something about number one that I just thought you know I can watch the cage and I just know all the stuff about it now. Agreed. Anything more you want to add? Um, no, I think we covered everything. Well, next week is episode three, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Which is a Shakespeare quote from Macbeth. Now, fun fact, um, there's a great interview with Patrick Stewart where he, he's uh, talking about him playing Macbeth and how when he got the role of Macbeth, um, he went to his good friend, Ian McKellen, to ask him for the advice on how to play Macbeth. And he actually told him that that was the most important line and that you have to say it tomorrow. You have to emphasize the ands tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow because it's and every other day after emphasizing that it just continues and it's this day after day of this and and that by emphasizing the ands it emphasizes just the accumulated days of this 
situation. So it's kind of neat that there's that story with the, that. That's the title, and it's such this very famous story of um, Patrick Stewart. So, and I hear that title, and I think that is a perfect original series, animated series, maybe even Phase Two episode title. Like it's yeah, I can it is see it. from it's from probably Shakespeare's most famous monologue when Macbeth is well. Spoilers, but when Macbeth is dealing with his wife having committed suicide and now he's all alone and he got what he wanted to become king, but now his life is totally ruined. I can just see it. I can just see the episode name coming up on screen in the original series font with the quotes around it. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, written by, directed by. Just like an original series episode, yeah. Um, But, so there's a little bit of plot line for this. So, um, La'an travels back in time to 21st century earth to prevent an attack which will alter humanity's future history so this is the episode that kirk is going to be in um uh, i don't know if this wait, is okay, which century 21st 21st okay yeah this is that this is that episode that when we saw when they announced like a year ago that kirk was going to be on the show and we saw photos of laan and kirk like in what looked like a modern this is that episode we were seeing production okay. photos of this episode now, I do love when you go to a time that is closer to our own. But the thing is, I don't know. I don't know if this is the episode. I was sort of assuming that this was the episode with Lower Decks, the Lower Decks characters. I thought, is there some sort of like crazy time travel thing going on? Mm, but it doesn't um, sound like it from I, that synopsis. Well, I mean, that could be right. And so, and we don't even, I don't even know in like what capacity the lower decks character being I, I like i can't imagine they would be used as a b plot right right so and are they gonna have two time travel episodes in a season that's am the I thing not? i don't even i'm i'm not sure <laughs> why not star trek happens all the time look at as long as they're good and a lot of fun then great yeah time travel is just a typical tuesday itself i have every expectation that i'm going to love the lower decks crossover when we finally get it um but i don't know I'm wondering if this is back to the 21st century to prevent an attack that was alter human enemies future. I'm wondering if there's some World War Three tie in there, but I don't know. I wonder if um, Mariner and Boimler just are going back to stop the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the scenes with them—they're on the Enterprise, like talking to Pike. And yes. Spock. Yeah. So well. Yeah, I don't. I predict it will not be this episode. I, I don't know. I when I read that synopsis, I think to myself, "How does that even?" Yeah, yeah. But as you and I have said, we hate one of the only things about the show that we don't like is Kirk. Like you introduced him way too early, and George. <laughs> yes, but he's not been on the show yet. Thankfully, right? I don't even like talking about him. But yeah, that's. <laughs> That's been, I would say, our only real criticism of the show is that the way it can't seem to help itself from wanting yeah. to. Why you gotta, you're you're already playing with fire. Well, you already have enough. Like, like yeah, we got Uhura, we've got uh, Chapel, Spock, we've got Khan's friggin' great granddaughter for crap's sake, or whatever. Like we have these existing. I mean. 
even though Lan's on an existing character, she's tied to an existing character, though. Right. And on paper, that's a terrible idea, right? When you when you see that on paper, it's going to be Khan's great, 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 great granddaughter. You think that's a dumb idea, but it's been great. Well, it's I mean, it's been fine, but I think you know you know what it is though. It's like even though she may have some relation to it, that aspect of her is not what I'm what I find interesting. So it's like okay, she's right. related, but what she's are we doing? What are we doing with this? Yes. And this is the first time it really came into play in any way. I'm going to tell you something though. I just I have this I have this this one fear I have with her being related. <laughs> okay. Is she going to go on like some away mission and like you know encounter the Botany Bay? <laughs> and we find out that like she's the reason why the ship is adrift in space. Like does she do something that That's a little too cute. I would not be surprised. But it could be. Yeah, can you imagine that? Yeah, you know, she could disable it and be like, even though you're my ancestor, you're 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 bad news. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe hey, you know what? Okay. If they do it well, I'm impressed. Does it does it hurt anything? No, but I'm just like <sighs> do you, it goes back to my complaint, like, do you have to tie everything together? Right. And then because the rest of the crew can't know about it or else they would have mentioned it. Right. Spock and but, yeah. but as we have said, Spock and Uhura may know that she's related, and but at this point, well, how is that useful? As the audience, yeah, no. we don't even know how. Like, we don't know anything, and yeah, that wouldn't help you deal with Khan in any way. And and ultimately, if nothing comes of it, then I say, well, why is she related in the first place? What was the point of that? So that she could have this small, um identifying with Una in this episode, but that wouldn't make sense. I just, I like the character a lot, and I like Christina Chong playing her, but the fact that she's related to Khan, that's not the thing that, like I said, that's not what I find interesting about her. But it it does have this little intriguing thing, not intriguing in the storyline, but more intriguing as to what are they going to do with this, which is... Right, And and I wonder, like, but that's one of those things that if you do something with it, you have to tread softly. Yeah, well, it, you know, there's nothing that they've done so far that makes us think they would do anything but they do They, it. for me, maybe this is premature, they have enough good... They sort of, like, cross the line now in terms of, like, the amount of good faith they have from me. So... Um, so it's it's okay. Like it's you know, if this were like three episodes into the first season, I'd be like, oh my god, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. So all right, well, we'll see how this episode goes. I'm looking. F- I'm uh, obviously I'm looking forward to it. I would not say I'm looking forward to seeing Kirk again, but mm-hmm. oh, the other thing though, we're going to see Indiana Jones on the same day the episode comes out. We are. We are. Dial of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting enough. So just looking, this is going to be the 800th and 86th episode. Of what? Star Trek. That's it? Well, remember like I remember when they made all this noise about they when they had 800 episodes, which was recently. Oh, uh, uh, okay. So, yeah. yeah, this is 886. So Lower Decks, somewhere along the line, is going to have yeah the 900th episode. 
That's great. That's really great. Yeah. I have to look at, because I don't know how many episodes of Trek have been released since Discovery came back. Since Discovery came on the air. It's been well over 100 at this point, but... Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. So we'll see you all next week, next week, and next week. <laughs> well done. I should, oh, I should end the show with that now. I like that. Because we have more episodes after that, so... Next week, next week and next week, next week and next week. And next week. I'm very proud of what I just did. That's good, folks. Remember, they got to emphasize the ands according to Sir Ian McKellen. Yes. Yes. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you then. <laughs>